you have your Bibles, you can go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, give us, give us ears to hear. Give us, Lord, eyes to see. Lord, help us to walk and expect the supernatural. Lord, the, the heavenly kingdom. Lord, help us to see and to expect, Lord, all around us, this heavenly kingdom that's, that's all around us, Lord, closer than the air we breathe. Lord, help us to realize the heavenly, yeah, the heavenly kingdom that's all around us. All around us, Lord, help us to see. Lord, help us to begin to touch and see the reality of this world, this other world, this heavenly world. God, help us to not get caught and lost in the earthly mundane. Oh, God, help us to see the supernatural. Lord Jesus, that we would walk as you walk. Jesus, that we would begin to walk as believers full of supernatural power. Lord, aware of, of those around us that are hurting, laying hands on the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. Lord, help, help us, Lord Jesus, to begin to walk in this new life that you've called us to. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. You know, every one of us, as we've taken a look at this series of the miracles of Jesus, every one of us as believers is called to walk in a supernatural life with Christ. Every single one of us taking the opportunity, being sensitive. Jesus walked sensitive to those needs of the people around him. He was sensitive to the direction of the Holy Spirit. He walked aware of the opportunities that God had ordained for him. Do you and I go through life simply about our business, walking as mere men and women, or do we walk aware, spiritually minded, aware of those that are around us and the God opportunities that have been ordained around us? Do we miss those opportunities because we're so, uh, so natural-minded, so, uh, so earthly-minded that we miss the heavenly opportunities that are around us? I know I've been guilty. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm guilty of that, of not being aware and sensitive. There have been times where the Holy Spirit has spoken to me. I was in a store shopping one time, and I was with a friend, and I was going through, and and the Holy Spirit spoke to me about the person behind the register saying, you need to witness, you need to minister to them, gave me a word of knowledge for their life. I didn't know them from Adam. I didn't know who they were, but the Holy Spirit, and I've been told that, that I have a certain look when the, when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to me and, the, the, and something supernatural gets ready to happen, I have a certain look that I get that I guess people who've been around me know this look. I don't know. 
And uh, the person who was with me looked at me and they said, you have that look. You were supposed to talk to somebody in the store back there, weren't you? And I said, yes. And they said, you didn't do it, did you? And I said, no. They said, you need to go back in there and talk to them. I don't want to. I don't know them. I don't know them, and I know what God spoke to me, and this is risky business, you know. I don't know, I may scare them, and I may, I may say the wrong thing. And so I went back, and someone else was in line. I waited, and, and I said, hey, I don't know you, but I really feel like this is what God said to me for you. I could be completely off, but this is what I think God said. And they, and they began to cry, and obviously it was that God began to speak to them. You know, I want to encourage you. You, you, you can use this line, this phrase, I, but I want to encourage you to try this. The next time you're out at a restaurant or someplace, ask God to give you a word for somebody that you run into at that restaurant. Maybe you're a waiter or a waitress. And this is the line that you can still, uh, that you can borrow from me, is, hey, I'm practicing hearing from God, so I may get this completely wrong. I'm just practicing but this is really what I think God's saying, but it could be a total mistake. And uh, you tell them what you feel like God's telling them. And if they look at you like you're crazy, just say, hey, I'm just practicing. <laughs> I, did, I didn't say I was going to be right. I just said I was practicing. Uh, but if you get it right and, and you share something that, it, that meets them at their point of need and where they're at in life, you just begin to share Christ. And even if you didn't, you shared Christ. And who, who takes the time these days to sit with someone and tell them, hey, I'm hearing from God for your life. Even if I get it wrong, I'm still trying to hear from God for your life. So even if you make a mistake, you've still tried. So I want to encourage us, you know, it's one thing we can look at the pastor and say, well, Pastor Zach and Pastor Heather, they walk in the supernatural. They carry a mantle for ministry on their life. They walk in the presence of God. They pray. They, they, they're the worshipers in the church. They, no, no. <clears throat> no, that's not how this works. Yes, we do. But we are a body, and our job is to equip you and to encourage you to do that yourself. I, my, my, my greatest desire, my greatest desire is this, is that I'll get over this cold. <laughs> no, my, my greatest desire, and I'm doing, I am doing better, but my greatest desire is that we would have a church, of le a church that's full of leaders, full of leaders that understand what it is to walk in maturity of the Spirit of God. It's not, you know, not that we have the best looking church or not that we have the most income in the city or that we have the most influential church and the politics and all that. No, that's, that's not my desire. My, my greatest desire for our church is that we would have a church full of people that are mature in understanding and walking in the Spirit of God. And when, when we have that, the lost are coming in and being born again. We have, we have discipleship happening on a regular basis. People are being taken care of and their needs are being met and people are being ministered to and supernatural church is happening. Not because Pastor Zach and Heather are doing it, but because the people of the congregation, the people of the church have understood what New Testament church is all about. And if you begin to take a look at the church in, in Acts, 
The church in Acts, the people of, of the church of Acts, wasn't just about the apostles. The apostles were, the, all the apostles did were they taught in large gatherings. There were so many people being born again. So many people that were uh, having an encounter with Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that all the apostles were doing were constantly teaching in large gatherings with thousands of people and they walked the streets. That's all they did. They walked the streets and they taught. They walked the streets and they taught. Oh, what a joy that would be for me if all I had to do was walk the streets and allow my shadow to heal. Jesus used my shadow and my handkerchiefs and I'll teach and I'll teach thousands of people. And if every one of our pastors on staff was able to fulfill that, that's what they're called to do. Oh, how awesome that would be. Oh, how awesome that would be. Well, why doesn't that happen? What, what, where's the missing element? The missing element is that the people, the people took up the ministry. The people met from house to house daily, breaking bread, fellowshipping together. They were the ones bringing their friends and saying, hey, this is what God's doing in my life. This is how I've encountered Jesus. You need to experience what I've experienced. And they would bring them into their homes and begin to share that with them and, the, and then bring them into the large gatherings with the apostles where the apostles were teaching. The ministry that was happening, the salvations, you know, we see the large number, you know, in the gatherings, 3,000 you know, being born again in one day, and we think, oh, it's the, the apostles. No, no, no. The reason those 3,000 were there was because of what was happening in, in the groups of people, the small groups of people. And so I want to encourage you, uh, after the first of the year course, we're launching small groups. Matt's help, helping uh, as our area director for the small group ministry. But as we do that, as we prepare for that, I just want to encourage you that real ministry happens in your home. Real, real ministry happens outside these four walls. And what happens in here on Sundays or Wednesdays or our large gatherings is that I'm teaching doctrine, I'm teaching, I'm teaching Bible, and you take that home and begin to help break it down and unpack it for the people in your home groups. And that's, that's what ministry is all about. That's where people get radically changed, and that's where you get radically changed. Because then all of a sudden, you have this baby Christian sitting in your home, sitting in your small group, that, that now you are unpacking or explaining to them what's being taught here on a Sunday morning. And you're explaining to them, hey, this is, what, this is what spontaneous worship is all about. And you sit in your small group and you begin to walk through the scriptures and talk about spontaneous worship and the sound of heaven. And all of a sudden, this baby Christian now has an understanding of what it means to be a part of spontaneous worship and uh, to be a part of spirit-led worship. How awesome is that? And then you get energized by seeing that person. You're using your gifts and seeing God use you in a supernatural way. And then the next thing you know, you're in the baptismal pool helping baptize those new believers and praying for them at the altar. That's what ministry is all about. So that's, the, that's neither on my notes was planned. Uh, that's all just extra. That's lanyap, as we say in New Orleans, uh, for you. And I won't charge you for that extra tidbit of information. We will put an offering plate at the door, though. I'm joking. Uh, but anyway... Uh, that, as I always say, Wednesdays is the sneak peek night. So there's your sneak peek. Mark chapter 1. <clears throat> Mark chapter 1 and verse 29. 
Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick, and to those and those who were demon possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Can you imagine the crowd? All of Capernaum is now at your house. <laughs> All of Akron is now gathered outside your house. Uh, that, that's quite a crowd. And they're all there, and not only are they all there, notice the types of people that are there. Uh, they have, here's Peter at his home, and now surrounding his home are not just all of the residents of Capernaum, but it is all of the sick and all of the demon-possessed at the front of the line. <laughs> I'm telling you, what a group of people that must have looked like. What, what, a, what a scene that must have been to have the lame people, the leprous people, the people that had issues with blood diseases, the people who were acting crazy because they were demon-possessed, all of the assortment of items that uh, must have been pictured there all outside the house because... because Peter's mother-in-law had been healed. And it says in verse 33, And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many de demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. This is obviously the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And he was uh, trying to keep the crowds down by not letting his name get out there. And uh, we see in just a moment that his name got out and uh, people were not just coming from all over the city, they were coming from all over the region. And so th this is, for me, as we, were just, as we were just talking about revival, this is a great indication of uh, what happens or a great display of what happens when God begins to supernaturally touch people's lives. There's a supernatural awakening that happens in revival. People become alert and aware spiritually again. They become awake spiritually again. They become sensitive to the things of God again. And this is what's happened in Peter's mother-in-law's life. She's uh, been healed of this fever. We'll talk about it in a minute. But here, here's this small little home, this town uh, of Capernaum, and all of a sudden, Peter's mother-in-law gets healed, and the phone calls, if you will, begin to start. The Facebook posts start. The tweeting starts. All of the social media, the phone calls, word begins to spread mouth to mouth. Word, uh, or, or person to person, begins to spread. Word begins to spread. And all of a sudden, people from all over Capernaum are there. Oh, what the personal nature we find about Peter. Here's Peter, the personal nature about Jesus' ministry to Peter. Jesus comes to Peter and he says, Peter, I'm going to make you what? I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Jesus comes to him and says, I know, Mark 3, verse 13, says he went up on the mountain and called to those he himself wanted. Peter was one of those that Jesus 
wanted. He came to Peter and said, you follow me, come with me, and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And when Jesus did that, it not only impacted Peter's life, but it affected his family's life as well. When you and I, Jesus, Jesus calls to each of us, and when you and I respond to the call of Jesus to follow him, oh, it's not just a call to walk an ordinary life. Jesus doesn't call us to walk in just the, the normal humdrum uh, pressures of life. He calls you and I to live a supernatural life. How many times have you heard us say in the past five months, God wants you to live a supernatural life. God doesn't want us to live under the pressures of this ordinary, mere Christianity life. He wants us to live full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, John said of Jesus, this is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So when Jesus called his disciples and said, come follow, I will make you a fisher of men. There was an intention that, this, that these disciples, these that Jesus was calling, wouldn't just, follow, uh, wouldn't just follow principles, but there would be a supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Jesus was taking them on a a journey of supernatural ministry, understanding what it meant to be born again, understanding what it meant to walk with Jesus and to walk in spiritual power. You and I, my friend, have been called to walk this kind of life with Jesus, to not walk mere Christianity, but to walk yielded to this invitation of Jesus. This was an invitation to come alongside, to abide, to walk, to talk, and to learn the secrets of the kingdom. Can you imagine, you know, we've got so much recorded here in Scripture and the Gospels about the relationship that happened between Jesus and the disciples. But can you imagine the, the personal times that they had with Jesus? Can you, imagine, can you imagine what it must have been like to be walking through the crowd, the crowds of people pressing in on Jesus as he walked through the crowd. And this, this woman, this little frail woman who shouldn't have even been there comes pressing through the crowd and touches Jesus and falls down. And Jesus says, who touched me? And here's this woman who had touched Jesus, came in contact with his power, can't even make it to him because she's trembling under the power of God, falls at his feet and begins to tell about how she had just gotten healed. Oh, what that, what that experience must have been like. I've, I've been in services praying for folks, and I, I just think in my natural mind, and, I, and I've seen others in services praying for people and having the crowds and, and having you know multitudes of people that you're ministering to, and then seeing that and knowing that and having that experience, but taking that to the next level where there's so many people all around you, not just in front of you or not just in a line and, and to experience that. Oh, uh, the, the disciples, what they must have picked up on, what they must have received. We, we have this ongoing joke with the catchers that, that yeah, it's fun to catch, but you're, it's really selfish too because you're getting what well, we say, the splashback of what's happening at the altar. You, you might be walking through covering people, but you're getting ministered to. I, Jen was saying, one time as she was walking through trying to cover, she said, I don't understand how you can stay standing as you walk through. She said, I can 
barely stand to cover people. The presence of God sometimes is so strong. Oh, that's, that's, the, kind of, that's the kind of impartation I'm talking about, where they are walking with Jesus and, and not, just, not just seeing it with their eyes, but they're getting something while they're walking with him. They're seeing, man, when, when that... that that spit hit the ground and the mud went on his eyes and the blind man began to see uh, and, and, and the tangibleness of that. We, we hear the stories and, and we think of the stories and, and they, they're nothing more sometimes than, than a fairy tale in Mother Goose's storybook. But this is real life. This is tangible real life. This really happened. And these disciples really experienced this. Just making sure that you're still with me. This is what Jesus wants you and I to experience. Is that as we walk with him, that we taste and touch and see and feel this same anointing. That, that we begin to understand the power and the presence of God working in our lives and through our lives. Oh, that we would become sensitive to the Holy Spirit and His power at work in us and through us. So you, you and I can, be, can become aware, so aware of the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The, the anointing is a person. The anointing is the Holy Spirit. The power of God is the Holy Spirit. It is a person. And you and I can become aware and sensitive to this person of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. And as we begin to uh, walk the crowds, as we begin to walk with Jesus, we are aware and sensitive to the Holy Spirit at work in and through us. Not only was Peter personally affected by his walk with Jesus, his family was affected. Oh, that, that our families would be affected by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. You know, it's been interesting to watch. I don't have brothers or sisters, and my, my parents, <coughs> my parents, I grew up in a, in a church family, a Christian family, in a Pentecostal family, uh, but it's been interesting to watch my parents personally, and I'm sure they're going to listen to this podcast and feel totally embarrassed that I've talked about them. Um, because they were faithful, my, at least my mom is definitely faithful to listen to them all. But um, it has been interesting to watch my parents, as we have walked, as I have walked, as we've walked together, this Pentecostal spiritual life together, this revival, God kind of life together. It has been interesting to watch how my family has been affected by that. My, my parents have been in the same church for 50 years. I was, my great-grandma was the, one of the founding members of the church. And my grandparents went, my great-grandma went there, my grandparents went there, my parents went there, I went there, I was on staff there. You can follow the succession here. So that church had a lot of meaning, a lot of heritage for us. My parents were married there, my grandparents were married there. You know, so there's, there's a lot of heritage. And growing up, it was, a, it was a Pentecostal church. It was a fiery Pentecostal church. Our pastors were out of the healing movement. And uh, my pastor's wife, my past, uh, the husband is gone. The wife is uh, still living. She's 92 years old, I believe. And uh, every time I see her, 
The church, the church gradually moved away from revival, became very, now is, uh, has become a social club, uh, to say no, nothing, I mean, I don't mean necessarily be negative to the leadership, that's what it's become, and um, every time that she sees me, every time my pastor's, my pastor's wife growing up sees me, she grabs my arm every time, Zach, we need revival, our church needs revival, and every time I say, I guarantee, it's so precious. I know every time what she's going to say, it breaks my heart every time I hear it because I know the heritage. I know the church. I know the influence. The, the church, the pastor had a great heritage. He never went to Bible school. He was called in, into ministry at a young age, went into preaching, had a radio ministry. I mean, the whole, everything that you could think of. Jimmy Swaggart was there in our church growing up many times, and that was the type of caliber of church it was. It was a full-on Pentecostal revival healing ministry church and that's my heritage you know that's where I came from but to hear those words we need revival and so that's the heritage of my parents being there but seeing the church change and they stay and then watching them as they've gone through this transition and have changed unfortunately have changed churches and not really having an op other option if they were going to be in a church that's a revival oriented spirit even just Pentecostal church and so seeing them attend another church, but watching them, oh, to watch, you know, they, and they've called and said, hey, what do we do? How do we walk through this? What, what's the best way to handle this? Is this right? Is this even right? And as a pastor having to say, knowing if I were, if I were the pastor and this was going on in my church, what, what response would I want? What would I say? And understanding those things and beginning to walk them through to see Heather's family, who are Catholics, her family's Catholics is, and, uh, and Baptists, getting touched by God, being able to talk about praying in tongues and spiritual gifts, seeing her dad have questions about spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit, and to hear them. I was blown away. Her, her brother's a pastor and hearing her brother talk about how they have a Baptist pastor, how they have people in their church that pray in tongues <laughs> at Thanksgiving. I'm like, so we had this whole conversation at Thanksgiving about the spirit-led ministry and what that looks like. It was awesome. And so I just, I want to encourage you that as you begin to live out this spiritually empowered life with the Holy Ghost, that it will affect your family. Here's Peter's mother-in-law, who is sick with a fever, she can't get up, she can't serve, she's stuck on the couch, she's stuck in bed, she can't do anything, and Jesus comes in on the scene and begins to change things. Here's Peter's house, it becomes a place of blessing. I think about Zacchaeus' home. We remember the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Nobody likes Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbs up in the sycamore tree. We all know the kid's song. He climbs up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And here comes Jesus. Jesus looks up in the tree says, Zacchaeus, you come down from there for I'm going to your house today. And he goes to his house. And what is Zacchaeus' response when Jesus came to his house? He said, I'm giving it all back. He said, I'm giving every half of everything I own is going to the poor. And if I've, if I've uh, abused anybody with their finances, if I've done anything deceitful, I'll give them back four times what I've taken from them. And so when you have an encounter with Jesus, when Jesus comes to your home, he begins to release blessing out of your home. Charles Spurgeon says, is it, selfishness, 
Is it selfishness which makes a man stand at the fountain to fill his own cup when he intends to hand that cup round for others to drink? Is it selfishness for us to pray that in us there may be a well of water springing up unto everlasting life when our second thought is that out of us may flow rivers of living water whereby others may be replenished? Lord, let rivers of living water flow out of our life. Jesus said in John 7, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to meet and drink and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Out of your home are to be flowing rivers of living water. When people come to your home, they should sense that there is something different about your family, about your life, about your home. There's a different atmosphere in your home. There's a place of peace. That's always been said about our house. Anytime people come over, we've had it said that, man, your house is so peaceful. And that's, that is, that's the presence. Of, that's what we want is for our home to be a place of peace and a place of ministry. Ezekiel 47.9 says that everything will live wherever the river goes. We want the river of God. Here is this woman sick in bed of a spiritual fever, so shall we say. Yeah, it was a natural fever, but let's just take a look for a moment as if this was a spiritual fever. I've put in your handout there uh, a, little, a little quote that I took from a friend of ours in New Orleans, Karen Boudreaux, and so I'll read this to you. This is an awesome quote. Uh, a fever begins with a kind of restlessness. She is sitting here. It has a task it was a task to tear herself away from the washing and the mending. And while, she was, and while she was sitting here, she has been wondering if all the while whether she left the stove on. She felt three or four times in her pocket for her keys. She is half afraid that an accident will happen to the baby before she gets back. She is anxious about everything she can think of and anxious about some things has not the sum of the things that she's not thought of. Will her husband be home before she gets back? How will he be? Will he like his supper? Will the children all be well tomorrow? You are up in the morning and at it, and all day long you are at it and at it and at it. The burden of the heat of the day is telling upon your spiritual constitutions. She has the fever upon her. This is spiritual fever. This is a description of spiritual fever. Or perhaps she is, she is burning the heat of irritability. She takes offense when none is intended. You cannot put your words in right order to satisfy her. It is a happy thing to live with a brother who is spiritually and mentally sound, for then you may speak freely and you're not afraid of being misunderstood. But feverish folk make you an offender for a word or a look. <laughs> they are grieved because you did not see them or did see them. Either way, you're wrong. <laughs> Maybe you know somebody like that who gets irritable. Have spiritual, maybe they have spiritual fever. It is intermittent and makes the patient change from hot to cold. Uh-oh. Maybe you know somebody. Maybe, maybe yourself. You've gone from hot to cold. You've got spiritual fever. It is something that has overtaken you. It is prevalent in people who dwell in lowlands. She dwelt in a low spot where the air was full of malaria. You, you who dwell in the misty lowlands doubt your own love to Jesus. Oh, but if you climbed the hills of joy and dwelt on the heights of fellowship, you would know your love to God and find it daily growing. The sunlight of his countenance is a sure cure for the fever of an anxiety. Abide with him in the heat of anxiety will depart and your irritability will disappear and you will be calm and joyful. 
Another great cause of spiritual fever is allowing things to stagnate. Stagnant water breeds fever, but the moment a drain is cut, the filth is carried away. You do not teach in Sunday school, and your teaching gift is stagnant. You do not go out to villages to preach. Your preaching gift is stagnant. You don't pray for anyone. Your prayer life is stagnant. Everything about you is still stale. You have nothing to live for, nothing to do, and therefore your whole being is shut up within itself, and this breeds mischief. The Lord help you cut a good wide drain and let your life run out to some useful purpose. Fever is often born of filth. Stand not in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scorners. Run not with the multitude to do evil. Come out from among them. Be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. For fever is contagious and spreads from one person to another. Fever takes away the beauty from the Christian. All you have to do is look into the eyes of someone to see they have fever. Their voice has lost the joyful note it once had. And if fever stays too long, lasting effects may result. Great indicator about fever, spiritual fever. Here, here Peter's mother-in-law, this woman lays sick with fever. How, how could she be cured of her fever? How, how can those be cured of spiritual fever? Zephaniah 3.17 says this. I said it on Sunday, but I'll say it again on Wednesday. The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Here she is in her sickbed. She can't move. She can't get up. She can't be around people. But oh, when she opens her eyes, here stands Jesus at her bedside. If you recognize today that you have fever, then open your eyes. Look up and open your eyes and see Jesus standing at the foot of your bed. He's singing over you. He's rejoicing over you with gladness. He's singing a song over you tonight. He's wanting to quiet you with his love. He's wanting to speak stillness into your life and remove the fever. If you know someone who's sick, bring them to Jesus. Get them in their sick bed to Jesus. Let Jesus begin to raise them up. Oh, he took this sick woman's hand and picked her up and immediately, oh, immediately, immediately the fever left her and she got up and the Bible says that she began to serve them. And I would say this the same to you that, oh, Jesus is standing at the foot of your bed. If you've grown uh, cold chills with fever in your spiritual life, maybe your spiritual fervor isn't as hot as it used to be or as it ought to be. Let Jesus, who's standing at the foot of your bed, take your hand and bring you up out of your sickness. Let him bring you up out of your spiritual lukewarm and apathy. Jesus is restoring the spiritual fervor tonight. Uh, Jesus is still sitting at the throne. He's still baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. He's still interceding right now. Yeah, we don't have a high priest who's not familiar with our temptations, not familiar with our struggles, but he himself was a man. He himself, yeah, there is a man seated right now in heaven who's praying for you and I. There is a man seated in heaven tonight, ruling all things by the word of his power. That man, the name, the person of Jesus, Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every sickness got to go. Every spiritual illness got to go. At the name of Jesus, I'm going to preach myself happy tonight. If you don't want to 
to be happy, I'll be happy. But I want to tell you, Jesus will make you happy. Jesus is still standing at the foot of your bed saying, he's singing. He's singing songs of joy. What is he singing over you tonight? He's singing happy songs over you tonight. He's singing happy songs over your life. You may be depressed or discouraged. Jesus is still singing a happy song. You may be thinking tonight, I wish this preacher would shut up so I can get home. But Jesus is still singing a happy song. <laughs> Jesus is happy about you tonight. Jesus is more happy about himself. Jesus is exuberantly happy about himself. He's ruling and reigning all things by the word of his power. He's really happy tonight. He's really happy about himself tonight. And we can find comfort in his happiness. We can find our strength. The Bible says in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. His happiness is my strength. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I will be happy. We'll move along. Mark chapter 1 and verse 40 says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them to do. Here is this man with leprosy. The first touch he felt in his entire life of leprosy was the touch of Jesus. <clears throat> he had been lonely. He had been, nobody would touch him. Lepers, I have the, some of the facts about leprosy there on your notes, but, but leprosy was, very, was a very lonely disease. Lepers were sent outside of the civilization. Basically, they would build, they would construct a hole in the ground for them, and they would go and live in these holes or these caverns, and people from the city would come out to them and throw bread over the, over the edge of this hole so that they could eat. But nobody could have contact with them because it was so contagious. And basically, leprosy begins by eating away your nervous system and your senses, your five senses, and it starts with the sense of touch. And so your, your ability to sense by touching is ate away by this leprosy. It begins to cause your skin to fall off and, and, and appendages to fall off. And you, 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 know, you get something in your eye, you get an infection in your eye, you can't feel it because you don't have the sense of feeling and touch and you don't get, get it out because you can't feel it, and you get an eye infection, so many of them became blind because they couldn't deal, they didn't feel, so the infections would cause them to become blind and everything else. Nobody wanted anything to do with them, but here comes, in the middle of the crowds that are coming from all over Galilee, word has spread about the miracles that are happening, people are coming from all over Galilee as Jesus is teaching in their synagogues, and here comes this man with leprosy in the middle of the crowd. That would be like somebody today who was bleeding, who had AIDS, bleeding, walking into the middle of the crowd. 
Leprosy was not contained. AIDS is contained within your body. But, but, but this, this disease of leprosy was not contained. If, it was, if you touched somebody, it was transferable. And the same would be true modern AIDS. If you had AIDS and touched somebody, it would be transferable. And, and it's the same, same type of situation. You, just to paint the picture of the extremeness of this situation. This man's walking into the middle of the crowd with a very contagious ailment. And Jesus does run the other direction, as I'm sure others did. I'm sure that there are plenty in the middle of that in the middle of that event who try to get room, try to back away. Don't get too close. You're going to get what he has. But Jesus instead walks right up to the man and touches him. He walks right up to the man who has leprosy and puts his hand on him. And he says, I'm willing, be cleansed. And this man with leprosy is cleansed that day. Oh, for the touch of Jesus in our lives. Oh, for, oh, for the touch of Jesus to yield to his touch, to yield to the master's touch. The Bible says that Jesus was moved to his bowels. There's two other times that this Greek word is used, but this, this Greek word moved to his bowels. He was moved with compassion. His innermost being was moved. There's two other times this is used. It was used at the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus saw the 5,000 and he said he had compassion on them and he healed them and he commanded his disciples to feed them. The other account is the widow of Nain. Her husband was dead and now her only son had died and Jesus saw the funeral procession procession and he was moved with compassion for her. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Jesus's ministry. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. This is Jesus's ministry. This is our ministry. This is the ministry. This is the commission that Jesus has left you and I with. That we are to carry the Spirit of the Lord. That we are to carry this anointing. That we are to carry this tangible ministry to those around us. Again, we see this personal ministry of Jesus. Jesus has been healing and ministering to the crowds. He's, the Bible says that the crowds have come from all over Galilee. And yet this man with leprosy, this man was, with leprosy is noted in Scripture for eternity. This, this man who, who was bound by this sickness, Jesus came and met this person. He met him personally, ministered to him personally, touched him personally. Jesus has called you and I personally to journey with him. He says, you follow me. Jesus has called us to walk with him personally. He's come to your home. He's come to my home. It's personal. And he raises us. He raises us up out of our sickness. It's personal. Jesus has called you and I to live this personal life of intimacy with him and carrying the same anointing, the same ministry to those around us. Charles Spurgeon said this, I'll wrap up with this quote. He took the cup in Gethsemane and drank it, the medicine to cure us for our physical and spiritual sickness, bitter as it is, is not for us to drink. Grace, you can come on. It's not for us to drink, but was all drained by himself. The sharp but healing cuts of the lancet are not made in our bodies, but he bore them in his own flesh. Is there any physician such as this who heals by suffering himself, whose pains and sorrows and grief 
pangs, anguish, torments, and death are the only medicine by which he removes the woes of men. What gratitude, oh what gratitude should we look upon Jesus while those blessed founts of health are streaming crimson floods and while they Heart, and while the heart, the source of all spiritual sanity, is pouring forth a heavenly torrent, efficacious to wash the sinner from all sickness, come all who are palsied and diseased with iniquity. Here is power, power still present in the dying Savior, Savior to heal you. Whatsoever your diseases may be, He healed all that had need of healing while He sojourned here. And the costly balm of His atonement has lost none of its power. His power to heal is still effective. His power to save is still effective. His power, His power, yeah, His power is still available to touch, to touch those around us. His power is still able to flow through you and I. His power is still able to flow through our lives and touch the sick and the broken and the hurting around us. Why don't you stand with me this evening? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your miracle-working power. Thank you, Jesus, that your power is still effective. Oh, Jesus, it's still effective for us today. Lord, teach us. Teach us how to walk. Teach us how to walk in this power. Teach us how to yield. Lord, not for our sake, not for, not for our glorification or our kingdom. Oh, but God, to minister to the hurting and the broken around us. Teach us, Lord. Teach us, oh God. Teach us, Lord, how to yield, how to yield to your, your Spirit's work in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to wrap up tonight. You know, each one of us, it's Christmas season, and each one of us know people around us that are lost in their sin, that are in bondage to sin. Each one of us know people who are bound to sickness and disease. <coughs> Each one of us know people around us that need the touch of God. Are you and I willing to be vessels He can use? willing, are you willing to lay it on the line your reputation what's that anyway <laughs> are you willing to lay it on the line and say Jesus can touch your body Jesus wants to make you spiritually whole and obviously you're not probably going to use those words, you're not probably not going to have a religious Jesus wants to raise your spiritual self up from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. He that believes on Him shall not die. No, no, no. Obviously, we're probably not going to do that. But are you willing? Are you willing to step out of the box of your comfort and be someone that God can use? He's still doing miracles. He's still working miracles. He's still performing miracles, physically, healing, spiritual, and so on. Financial. 